you're in the middle of our summer July series called Hot Topics. We always do a series that if you have to miss a week in July that um, you're not totally disconnected from, and so I think you're going to be pumped up after this morning's service. How many know what this is? What kind of phone? What kind of cell phone? Who said a smartphone? But how many know it's not a smartphone if you don't know how to use it? No, this is a smart book. But it's just like that. That which is in it is it's the principles and it's the word of God. And I believe this, that even though this book is old, it's still alive. Here's why. Because the Bible says Jesus is the word. So wherever the word is, Jesus is. And it has the power to change things. And just like this phone, um, what makes it smart is just being able to operate what's in it. Um, and it's like this book, unless we apply it, it doesn't change the things in our lives. But when it gets applied to our lives, everything is subject to be altered and everything is subject to be changed. Amen? Are you with me on that? So what I'm saying is the principles in this book still affect what we face today. And so we, uh, a few weeks ago as a staff, we decided that we would do a series in the month of July called Hot Topics. Everybody say Hot now, you got to say hot. hot, like the weather outside. One, two, three. Hot. Yeah. yeah, hot. <laughs> so um, two weeks ago, we, we uh, for some reason, this sounded like a great idea, and I started talking. I'm like, why did I do this? But it ended up very good. I took on the topic of politics, and we just said, what does God have to say about politics? Um, what does God have to say about how to vote? And so we've got so much good feedback from that message. So if you weren't here, I would encourage you just go on YouTube, watch that. Um, it's not, I didn't tell you who to vote for. I just told you how to vote biblically. So go, go check that out. Next week, we're going to wrap up this series. Uh, and and I, for lack of better titles, I just put it this way. There is a lot of cultural chaos and crisis going on. And how do we, as believers, deal with those things that might confuse us as a believer? And I, can I give you a teaser real quick? How, how many know there's, there's a lot of, it's just jacked up out there. But what if I told you, what do you do if you realize there, there's a scripture in the Bible that says God brings our adversity on. So what do you do if God's your problem? How many want to know? Well, come next week. I'm going to answer that question. Um, how do we respond? I'll, I'll, that'll make sense next week. So if you can't be here, please go online and watch it so you don't think I'm just saying crazy things. So um, this morning, we're, we're going to take on another hot topic. And once again, I just want to give you what the Bible says um, about this topic that we're going to tackle. And I believe the Word has an answer for all things that challenge us. Amen? Amen. So we're going to talk tackle the topic of racism this morning, the topic of racism. And the last few years, we've just seen, it's, it's an old problem, but it, we've seen the resurgence of violence and uneasiness and being unsettled because of this race issue. And so let's solve it this morning. Y'all ready? Yes. Also, let me first of all give you a working definition of racism. It's kind of wordy. I'll say it a couple times. It's prejudice, discrimination, and antagonism that's directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Y'all get that? Okay, I'll say it again. 
It's prejudice, discrimination, and, and antagonism against someone who's a different race because you think your race is superior. So someone thinks their race is superior, so you have prejudice or discrimination against somebody. So let me give you a scripture that will destroy that wrong and accurate way of thinking. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 4 says this, and I give you this challenge. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Do not allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in an authentic humility, put other people first and view other people more important than yourself. I mean, that's a strong statement. I think we'd live in a better world if we all thought a little more highly of everybody else. The end of that verse goes, or the last verse says, abandon every display of selfishness, possess a greater concern for what matters to other people instead of your own interests. In the book of Acts, Peter had a vision, and you have to understand that um, traditional Jewish people were very um, discriminate against Gentile people. We're, we're Gentiles unless you're uh, Hebrew descent. And so there, were, there was this great racial divide and Peter had this vision that he was eating with Gentile people. And so Peter finds himself at Cornelius's house and his dream's coming true and he's eating food that he wouldn't normally eat and he's mixing and interacting with uh, uh, Gentile people who were this, there's this racial divide between. And Peter said himself, now I do see that there is no partiality with God. And so Peter's realizing that this unity that he's feeling with people that aren't the same as him, that is actually a God thing. And because of those actions, faith started coming to a greater Gentile audience because Peter was seeing that God didn't have any discrimination against anyone else. Now, um, we'll pick up there. We'll come back to that in, in, a, in a second. Um, but I do believe that you and I need to get God's perspective on the racism problem. See, our opinions and our attitudes and our thoughts and our theories usually come by the things we experience or the influences that we have had in our lives. And I just want you to know that our experiences and our influences can lead us to inaccurate thinking. So we have to get God's perspective on any issue, on anything in culture, but specifically this morning, this idea of, uh, of, of racism and how we as believers are supposed to act on this. And let me say right up front, there are only two races according to the Bible. Believers and unbelievers. That's the only two races that I can find in scripture, that is, so that you're a believer or that you are an unbeliever. And I remember this several, several years ago. Um, I had just graduated college, and I went with a friend of mine down uh, to the Atlanta area, and we, we stayed with their family, and I, I didn't know them until this trip, and so we were staying with them, and we decided that we were going to take the tram down into underground Atlanta. And so we all get to the tram, and all, all's good, and we, we walk on the tram, and there's enough seats for us to sit. And they just stood at the doorway and wouldn't sit. And I realized what was going on. And there was an older African-American gentleman sitting right here. So they wouldn't have had to sit by him, but they refused to sit by him. And so I go over and I plop myself down right beside him because I thought, you know what? I'm not going to participate in your discrimination. And it was very evident. There was a lot of tension and I was staying at their home and I was with them, but I refused to let their opinion and their bias sway me. 
And so I did it to be a little bit annoying to them. Actually, I ended up leaving the next day, I think it was, because I didn't want to be a part of that. But I got the looks, I got the sneers, the conversation the whole night. But you know what? I wanted to make sure that I did the right thing. And I believe we do have a church that's diverse, and I do believe that we have a church that, that I don't think this is a major issue within our church, but I do believe, and as I'll mention in a moment, that I believe that the church should lead the way in mending these racial um, barriers. So what I'd like to do is just share, as usual, these three pointers with you this morning, or these three life points with you. So my title is Racism, Removing What Divides Us, and here's the first thing I want you to know, that racism is a sin problem, it's not a social issue. It's a sin problem. It's not a social issue. So if it's not a social issue, listen to me, a new social program is not going to fix it. It's a sin problem. It's not a social um, issue. So at the root of racism, let me tell you what is at the root of racism. It's a spirit. It's a spirit of division. It, 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 thank you for the amens. I feel warm and fuzzy. But it, it's, there has to be a root. And so it's a spiritual root, and it's the, it's the root of, uh, or it's a spirit of division. And so if you've been around here long enough, you can finish this sentence for me. How do you defeat a spirit with the opposite spirit? So whatever the spirits at work, you defeat it spiritually by the opposite spirit. So if it is a spirit of division, how many of you you conquer with a spirit of love, a spirit of unity, and we're going to keep talking about this as we go. So at the root, there's a spirit of division. So there's no real word for racism in the Bible, but you're going to find words like this. A div, uh, the word division, the word dissension, the word sedition. These are words that would describe this root of division. And let me just say it very plainly and very bluntly. Um, it's demonic. If it's a spirit I mean, it's demonic. It's a demonic thing that's behind it. And so the root of it is a spiritual, um, a spiritual root or a spirit of division. Now, remember the story I just read you about Peter a moment ago? If you read the rest of that story in the book of Galatians, it goes a little bit like this. I'm going to read you the scripture. Um, so Peter, all of a sudden, is finding himself mixing and eating and interacting with all of this Gentile crowd. And he says, you know what? I know God is not a God of partiality. But all of a sudden, all the brothers of James and the Hebrews people start showing up. And now all of a sudden, Peter changes his interactions. He walks away from the Gentile crowd. He moves away from them because he wants to be connected to the Jewish people. And so he's making a very racial move. Paul hears about it, and Paul confronts him. L listen to what Paul says to him. But when Peter visited Antioch, he began to mislead believers, and he caused them to stumble because of his behavior. And Paul said this, so I had to confront him to his face over what he was doing. So Paul and Peter are about to have a confrontation, and it's over a racial issue. And Paul said, I had to confront him to his face. Listen to what Paul says. He enjoyed being with the non-Jewish believers who didn't keep Jewish customs, and he ate meals with them until the time the Jewish friends of James showed up. When he saw them, he withdrew from his non-Jewish friends and separated himself from them, and he was acting like an Orthodox Jew, fearing how it would look to them if he ate with a non-Jewish believer. And look what Paul said. And so because of Peter's what? Hypocrisy. This is why I say it's not a social issue, it's a sin issue. Paul confronts Peter to his face and he says, you are a hypocrite. You are a, you're calling yourself a believer, but you cannot have this discrimination. He, he goes on and he says this, and, and so, uh, 
Because of Peter's hypocrisy, many other Jews believed. They followed him. They refused to eat with those non-Jewish believers. Even Barnabas was led astray by a poor example of Peter and, and condoned the legalistic, hypocritical behavior. So man, you, this language, Paul says to the face of Peter, you are a hypocrite because it was a sin problem. Just let me say this to you. Let me get in your grill and just say, as a believer, if we have racial problems, we are a hypocrite. And I thank you for your love again. But if we are, see, here's the deal. When Jesus comes in and he, he meets you where you're at in your messed up world with all your messed up opinions and all your messed up thinking and all your messed up experiences, and he changes your heart and he cleanses your heart. But now we got to think different. We got to live different. We got to believe different. And if you have had experiences that would cause you to think wrong, be wrong, we need to go to the word of God and let it keep changing our heart, keep changing our thinking, getting a right perspective, acting right, talking right. And that's what the gospel, that's what the power of the word of God will do for you. But if you choose to call him savior, and act like this, the Bible says, as Paul would say, you're acting hypocritical or you're being a hypocrite. I would say it this way, you're a Christian atheist. To claim he's a God and act differently, to claim he's your savior and act differently, that's atheistic behavior. It's hypocritical behavior. So it's a sin problem. Are you with me? It's actually not a social issue. It's a sin problem. Second thing I would say to you today is I would build on that and I would say this, that racism is an honor problem, not a hatred problem. It's actually an honor problem. It's not a hatred problem. God is so awesome. He's so creative. Your racial distinctions are intentional by God. God's got, aren't you glad God's got some flavor God's got some spice. We all don't have to look alike. The racial differences are intentional, and you do not have to give up your uniqueness. You do not have to give up your distinctions, but you cannot think yourself inferior or superior because of the color of your skin. God's not asking you to adjust your collar. He's not asking you to think differently because of another collar. But he is saying you're not, you don't think superior, don't think inferior. Embrace that, embrace that difference because God made it that way. He made it intentional that the collar, I'm so glad God has some spice and God has some, some flavor about him. Aren't you? He's, not a, he's not a boring, mundane God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says this. Recognize the value, everyone say value. It's another word for honor. Recognize the value of every person and keep showing love to each believer. Live your lives with a great reverence, be in awe of God and honor your rulers. So when I say the word honor, the word honor means this. It means that you show value to something or someone. But honor really means I show value to someone or something in my words, in my actions, and in my thoughts. So you can say you honor someone of a certain race, but if you, you can't just say it, you also have to think it. You also have to do it. So honor means those three things, your thoughts, your words, your actions. And it goes along with what we said a moment ago. You, 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 you can't think partiality. You have to think and speak and act without a discrimination, without a pressure. So you can say, hey, you're my brother, but if you're thinking that you're superior because of the color of your skin, it's hypocrisy. That's why it's not a hate problem. It's actually an honor problem. I was listening to Dr. Tony Evans the other day, and he said this, and this is so good. He said that if our racial perspective 
as an individual is messed up, then we're going to have messed up churches, messed up communities, messed up cities, messed up counties, messed up states, messed up world. So if our, that's why we have to get God's perspective on anything, on any, any issue, any problem, any trend, anything going on in culture. Because these, these are problems that have been around. It comes down to an honor issue. So if we think about some of the things that we have seen racially, it usually ends up in a very violent place. But there's a process to that. And it doesn't start because hatred eventually ends in what? Violence or murder. But what precedes hatred will be something like this. A hurt or an offense, which the Bible calls a stumbling block. And when we have a stumbling block, which is an offense, it turns into anger, which means to boil over. So there's a stumbling block of some type. We start to boil over with anger. That anger turns into hatred, and that hatred eventually turns into violence. But the roots all the way back here in the division, or the roots all the way back in here in the, 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 the root of divisiveness or the root of offense or the stumbling block. That's why it's not just a hatred problem. It starts as an honor problem. E- even in our even in our race protest, they're wrong if they don't have honor mixed in them. If the protests become dishonorable, even though we're trying to get the right resolution, dishonor never fixes anything. That's why this whole issue is a sin problem, and it is a dishonor issue. So that's all the, that's all the bad news. Well, thank you, Pastor Aaron, for telling us the problem. Pro- but how about if I give you the solution? Here's the solution, right? So the solution would be this, that, that culture cannot cure racism, only the church can. Yeah. Now think about it. Culture can't cure this. Only the church can cure a racial problem. Now, we do live in a demographic where there's still some of this. And it may not be you sitting in here, but we live in a demographic where there is still some of this. And, and I remember as um, a younger person, I, came, I lived in an all-white community and an all-white school, and I remember when I was younger watching the KKK march down the street in front of our house and go to the neighbor's house and burn a cross. Now, I'm glad that my parents didn't raise me with a bias like that. And, and I remember back in, in high school, two of my closest friends were African-American, and we vacationed together. We hung out together, we played together, we, we, you know, we just did life together, and here's why. Because of the church, that's where we met. That's where our connection was, and there wasn't these biases that I watched in a community that I grew up in, and this is why I say only the church can cure this problem. I'm going, I'm going to explain to you why, and there's a few reasons why. First of all, the church is the only organization that can love accurately. It's the only organization that can really love accurately. Our world can't love accurately. Here's, here's why I say that. If you're a believer, then you've been agaped. And only those who have been agaped can agape. Yeah. If you're sitting here and say, what is this language you speak of? Agape is the Bible word for, for love. And the Bible says God is love. And the love of God is an agape love, which means it's a selfless love. It's a giving love. It, it's an unconditional love. Now here, in essence, all of us 
are selfish people. Matter of fact, if you stepped into the shower this morning, what's the first thing you did? Right? Because you didn't want it to be too hot or too cold. You wanted it to be just right. And there's nothing wrong with you know, checking out your shower. But we're just selfish people. And the scripture comes along and says, for believers, we're, we're supposed to think different. We're supposed to think of other people higher than ourselves. And we're supposed to love people. But the church is the only organization that can really, really, really love accurately. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love never fails. But to a world that love is just about emotions and feelings, they can't love so it can't cure. But the church has experienced the love of Jesus. See, Jesus met you when you were in a messed up, jacked up, lost, can't save yourself, can't help yourself. And all you brought Jesus was your junk from your trunk and laid it out before him and you needed Jesus. And Jesus forgave all of your yesterday he forgave all of your now, and he actually forgave your tomorrow. He graced it. And for a person who understands that God great, anyone got some, you know, I've said this before, but I remember when I was younger, I was taught this, that there's gonna be a day, and you're gonna get to heaven, and there's gonna be a big jumbotron, much cooler than this, and your life's gonna play out on that jumbotron. Anyone ever taught that? And so everything's gonna be played out on that jumbotron, and before everybody, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't want that played out on the jumbotron. I want you to know that teaching is crazy, because the Bible says love covers a multitude of stuff that could be put on a, a billboard, or could be put on, and that's called the grace of God. Aren't you glad God's not put, some of you ought to be like, really, some of you ought to be like this. I'm like, that is not a made-for-TV movie that needs to be played, right? Actually, the Bible said God's forgotten it. Isn't that amazing? He's forgotten that stuff. Everybody do one of these. Shoo. He's forgotten it. And for a church, which is the, we could call a church an organism. We could call the church an entity. Why? Because it's alive. Because it's, it's, it's the house of God. It's the people of God. It's actually the army of God. But we understand love. And if we understand love, we can love people no matter what their, the color of their skin or the difference of their life or they're different than us or we're not superior to them. But we can love. Second thing is the church is also the only organization that can agree authentically. You know, the most powerful force on this planet is the spirit of agreement. The Bible even talks about that, the Tower of Babel. It, it says they could have done anything because they were what? In unity. The greatest power on the face of the earth is the power to agree. And if at the root, racism is a spirit of division, how do you conquer that spirit? A place where people can be in agreement. Now, Paul even said about the church world, he said, there's some little minor stuff you don't have to be on the same page on, but the big stuff, and racism is big stuff. There needs to be agreement. So the house of God ought to be a place where we exemplify, we're the evidence of, we're the proof of the gospel that we can be in agreement the world is not in agreement. They haven't been. They surely aren't right now. And they won't be. They are unable to come into alignment and agreement. Here's why. You can only come into alignment and agreement when there's truth. 
So when there's truth, and truth will set you free, if we come into it, we have to have a banner that we come into alignment with, and that's the truth of the words of Jesus, and we come into alignment with the truth, and we are set free, and we can be in agreement. The world can't come into agreement because they're in confusion, and confusion leads to chaos, and the Bible said confusion and chaos leads to every evil work, because here's why. Truth to us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the world, it goes like this. Truth depends on my opinion at whatever time I want it to be. I can be this, I can be that, I can identify this way, I can do this, I can do that. And there is no standard of truth. It's all relative. But when you have a standard of truth, how many know you can come into agreement? So um, the the Bible word for unity would go something like this. Um, Let's say that you're going to an orchestra or a symphony. Now, not, not the one that you go to when your kid's like in fourth grade and they're in the band room and you're just happy they're blowing on the right instrument and it, it, it just sounds good because you're the parent, but really it sounds terrible. Not that orchestra. I'm talking about the one that you pay good money to, you dress up and you go to and you sit there and you watch the symphony and there's the wind instruments and the brass in the strings, and they all have different parts, but they don't look the same, but they start playing together, and all of a sudden there's this magical, moving music that's coming from it, and there's a symphony. Uh, let, let me put it in, into terms that may help you, that would help me. Um, I grew up in the sports world, and so in the sports world, you have teams, and maybe a team has people that are of different color and different backgrounds, And maybe they have different skill sets and maybe they have different talents, but they all wear the same jersey on game day. And their opponent has a different jersey. And so for us, our enemy, the devil, has a different jersey, but we might all be different and come from different places and backgrounds and experiences, but we got the same jersey on and we're on the same team. And a team that is under the same jersey, under the same banner, how many of you can accomplish great things? First Corinthians chapter one, verse 10. It's a great scripture. And once again, Paul is talking, and Paul is using some very strong words. And Paul says this to us. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. When you see the word urge, Paul was saying, listen, hear me, give me your attention, give me your passion, you gotta get this. He says, I'm talking to you, brothers and sisters, and he says, I urge you for the sake of Jesus, for the evidence of the gospel, for the reputation of Jesus. He says this, agree. Live in unity with one another and put to rest any division that comes to attempt to tear you apart. He says you've got to put the division away. And the good thing is in the house of God, we can put it away. In the world, guys, they're not gonna be able to put it away. In the house of God, we can just put it away. For the sake of Jesus, we gotta put that stuff away. Let's, let's keep reading. Y'all doing good? Yeah. Anyone glad you came? Yes. Okay. It says, put the stuff away. Then look what it says. Be restored as one united body, living in perfect what? Harmony. Harmony is the word for unity. It's the word for agreement. If you put the stuff away, you'll be restored. You'll be able to live in unity. Now, look at the end of that verse. It says, and form a consistent choreography among yourselves. And put together a consistent, everyone say consistent. Consistent. So when you hear the word choreography, what do you think? A dance, right? I mean, 
not that, but one that's together, right? So different parts, you learn, you, you know, my daughter came up, she was a dancer, and she would practice for hours, then she would come home and practice, and they would take these dance parts and they put them together, and I'm like, how do you remember all those moves? She got her dance moves from me, not her mom, but... <laughs> But it says have a consistent course. In other words, keep in step, keep in line, move together, function together. Doesn't even matter the style of music. It could be hip hop, it could be line, God help us, it could be line, whatever that line thing is they do. That's for non-dancers, that's what you do. But it says have a form, a consistent choreography among yourselves. Look what it says, have a common what? Perspective. And shared values. The word value means honor. Have a shared honor, a common perspective. So when I say to you, racism, it's a sin problem. It's not a social issue. It's an honor problem. It's not a hatred problem. But only the church can cure it. Culture can't. Because the church is the only ones who can really love. And we're the only ones who can really come into agreement. And then the last thing I want to leave you with is the church is also the only ones who can really freely forgive. The book of Mark says it this way. If you want to keep being fully forgiven, you have to keep freely forgiving. And in the house of God, if we know anything, we know about love. We know about unity. And we should know about the power of forgiveness. So, for any hot topic that's trending today, I believe Jesus, the words of Jesus, have something to say about it. And the Bible's a book of cures and solutions. And just to be very frank with you, one more social program and one more government-funded initiative is not going to cure what's a sin problem. Not going to cure what's an honor issue. Only the church can. So residing in this room, in good churches in our area, residing in those who were, are here earlier in the 930 experience or those watching by live stream, residing in here is the capacity to cure a racial problem. Just to be honest with you, there should be no black church or white church. It's just the church. Did y'all get that? And I said this last week, but I'm glad our church is diverse. When I showed up here, nobody could clap on rhythm at all. I'm glad God spiced some things up. Amen? But under the banner of the gospel, under the banner, under the reputation of Jesus that we have to uphold is the capacity to love somebody that doesn't look like you or act like you. It's the capacity to agree, be in agreement, the capacity to be in unity, Actually, I have a friend here. Jamal, can you join me for a second? Um, he's one of my best friends. I'll have him join me here on stage for, for just a second. Um, see, you notice something different? He's taller than me. <laughs> he's a lot taller than me. <clears throat> but honestly, he's, he's one of my best friends. Here, here's why I know. is because... He's gone through some stuff a few months ago. He's calling me, 
calling him, getting him some scripture. And just a couple weeks ago, he said, man, you have been on my mind for a week. He said, what's going on? I just said, just a couple of things. I'm going to be praying about that. And you know what? It didn't matter that he's not the same color as me. Honestly, I know, and I hope he knows this, and I think I can speak for him. If he needed something, I'd be there. And I know if I needed something, he'd be there. And so does it matter what influences or experiences or things or opinions that have come your way? When Christ gets involved, we got to put those things away. We got to put those things away. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I was telling him one day, you know, a few years ago, um, our church went through some attacks. And there was a lot of stuff said about our staff and me and Pastor Diane specifically. A lot of stuff. Just, it was just lies and nonsense. And one of the things that bothered me the most was, and I, I told Jamal this one day, I said, they said that you and Pastor Diane were racist. And he said, they didn't use that card. I said, they did. And he said, that's the craziest thing he, he ever heard. But that's the devil. Because we don't fight people. We fight flesh and we fight blood. And in my closing, why don't we all stand? I, this is what I put down that I wanted to challenge our crowd with today. Y'all get something good today? Um, and, and this sounds so simple that you'll miss it. But if you are, you know, they, they can call a Christian lots of things. And Christian just means that was the first thing they were called, and it meant just to be like Christ is all it meant. That's where the word Christian came from. Or you, you might say, well, I'm a Christ follower. And there's nothing wrong with that. Or I'm, I'm a Jesus follower. I, I really like, I like the term believer. Because what's a believer do? They just believe. They believe the words of Jesus. They believe the power of Jesus. I, I, so I'd rather be called a Jesus, but I, I don't get hung up in that. But so as a believer... What we believe, and the Bible says this, we walk by faith, and here's what that means. What we believe should regulate every area of our life. It should just regulate every, every area of my life. So no matter what opinions, influences, experiences, stuff we went through, I'm a believer now, and my whole life is regulated by my belief in Jesus and the power of his words. And if that's not politically correct, I'm not real apologetic about it, but I just want to honor Jesus above all. And this is how I wrote down in my closing to challenge you, if you are a believer, to intentionally build a bridge with someone that's different than you. And I put the word intentional because if you're African-American, make a bridge with someone that's a lot lighter skinned than you. And if you're as white as can be, make an intentional bridge. I mean, don't be weird about it, but make an intentional bridge. That's why people can be weird sometimes, I'm just saying. Just make an intentional bridge to someone that has a different color. And you know what? If they think, well, they're just doing that intentionally, maybe you are. But intention produces results. So I, just make, I give you that challenge. Like just make some bridges to someone who's just different than you are. If you take something away today, take this. Just, just remember this. Let me repeat. Racism is a sin problem. It's not a social deal. And it's an issue of honor, not hatred. But the church is the only cure. And the church is not a building. The church is you. The church is me. And so in saying all of that, 
I believe the community we live in, the demographic we live in, can be altered by just people who know the love of Jesus, know the power of unity, and know about forgiveness. And they're intentional about that.